Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex and I'm joined as always by my dear partner in crime, Marianne Azevedo, senior reporter on the FinTech Beat, the angel of Austin, the tyrant of Texas. How are you? <laughs> I love that. Thank you, Alex. I'm good. I'm feeling a little, I don't know, sentimental about this being our official last recording of the year. Yes. Uh, and we wanted to talk about that because this is the last Friday news roundup we are going to have for you. But we all know that during the holidays, you often have family around, and that means you need to take breaks to get away from said family. So equity has a full slate for you through the rest of the year. We are not just going to give up and do reruns like some shows do. No, equity has prepared lots of stuff for you. We're going to have look back episodes, predictions episodes, and interviews with founders and VCs. We've dragged in some of our TechCrunch colleagues. We are really excited about what we've put together for you. And if we have sounded a little bit hoarse lately, it's because we've been doing a lot of extra work to make sure that you are entertained all throughout the end of December. But Marianne, this is our last news roundup. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, deals of the week is preview and verve motion. Then we are going to look at what the hell is going on in France and why is it blowing up? And then why mega deals could be inflating the overall AI funding figures. Whew. Now, before we do all that, our dear friend Kirsten was going to be on the show today, but she was a little bit busy chasing down a scoop, Marianne, and that scoop was that Cruise is going to slash just about a quarter or 24% of its workforce. Talk us through the details. Yeah, um, that's a lot. 24% equals about 900 employees, and they're targeting non-engineering jobs, employees who worked in the field, commercial operations, and corporate staffing. So this is not a big surprise. Cruise has been you know, in hot water as of late with all sorts of things going on with uh, the episode in San Francisco where a pedestrian that got hit by another car then dragged by a cruise vehicle and then cruise allegedly trying to cover up bits of that video has just really not been very good for the company. Cruise Marianne is, of course, one of the two major self-driving outfits in the U.S. that we talk about a lot on the show, along with Waymo. They have had operations around the U.S., and this is certainly a moment of retrenchment for them. We're not going to go over it all again. I'm in favor of lots and lots of it. Marianne's a little bit skeptical about it. And um, usually the news is in my favor, Marianne. This time, though, not so much. Yeah, not so much. But kudos to Kirsten on the scoop. Yes, she's crushing it. We adore her. And, you know, I think it's actually a fair moment to just say thank you to both Kirsten Korosek and Becca Skutak. They've been on the show a lot this year. They are as close to full members as possible without having to take on all the extra responsibilities. Um, but they have been legendary helps, assistants, and just like friends. And they're just so smart and eloquent and fun. We're very grateful for them. Very grateful. But they're not on the show, so they don't get a deal of the week. But you know who is and does? Marianne. What's going on with Preview and why is it spelled Preva? <laughs> Preview is actually spelled P-R-E-V-U, and it's a real estate tech startup. And, you know, I feel like I've been getting a lot more pitches around real estate tech, which is interesting considering this current environment, you know, with really high interest rates and housing shortage. So you would, you would almost think the opposite. But anyway, this one caught my eye for a couple of reasons. First of all, they've been around for about six years. They're not, they're not just you know, a new company. Um, they raised a $6 million series A, which is a relatively mm -hmm. small series A. I thought that was, that was interesting, but they, I guess they feel like they don't need, you know, tons of capital to move their model forward. And speaking of that model is they have a digital platform that allows people say, okay, like you want to buy a house, you've seen a house, you'd love it. 
but you're like, okay, I know that I love it. I'd like to tour it. I don't want to deal with getting an agent, having to go through all this hassle. So you could go on to preview. You can take a, you know, schedule a tour. You can do all the things that you want to do. And then if you do want the help of an agent, they offer one and then you can get their help, but you're not, you're not having to, what's the word? You're not having to commit in the same way that you would with a traditional real estate agent. Okay. Got it. Okay. So preview, preview hires agents as salaried employees, something that other companies like Redfin have done. And, and the point is, is that they're not incentivized to try to push you to make a purchase because they want commission. They're going to be, they get paid anyway. Right. Right. Um, But another interesting thing about this company is that they offer buyers a cashback rebate after they've closed on a home purchase through their platform. Okay. So this is where I want to dig in because I read your story on preview. I went to the website. I read through the buyer and seller sides of things. And as someone who has never gone through the actual process of purchasing a house with an agent and a mortgage, I'm a little confused. So it turns out that the average commission on a house is about 6%, right? Mm, Right. Which is a lot. And I think that number being so high has launched a thousand startups, essentially. People trying to find a way to get that number down to something a little bit more reasonable and make the market more efficient. Fair enough. Now, Preview has a lower fee structure. I think their overall fee package is about 3 to 4% according to their website. And then there's this rebate component. And that's where I kind of wanted to dig in. So, Marianne, what does the rebate mean and how do you get it? Well, first of all, you you get the rebate if you purchase the home through the Preview platform. You get it via check after the closing. So, do I pay a larger fee and then I get some of it back? No. No, you don't. This is basically taken out of the commission that Preview gets for helping facilitate the home purchase. So the company generates revenue from commission on each real estate transaction conducted through its platform. And that totals about one to one and a half percent of the transaction value. So here's an example. In a scenario where the buyer's agent commission is 3%, the home buyer would get up to one and a half percent as a rebate and preview as a company would keep the other one and a half percent. So they're giving half of the seller fee commission to the buyer as a rebate. Exactly. And this is a way to incentivize people to buy through the platform, therefore bringing demand to preview Mm -hmm. and therefore making it more attractive from an economic basis because they're collecting some money in the middle of the transactions. Okay. That helps. Okay. So yeah. And they say over the years, they've saved consumers an average of $20,000 per home purchase through the rebate program. And 20K is a lot. I mean, if, if you buy a house, having extra cash afterwards is probably an enormous boon, given that people often say for years to scrape together a um, deposit or the initial, mm-hmm. what's the word I'm looking for here? Down payment. Thank you. That's what I meant. Sorry. <laughs> I lived in apartments for a really long time. Um, down payment. And so if you could have some extra cash in your pocket afterwards, that'd be great because like with anything, when you buy it, you then discover that you need to replace that sink or that bit of roofing or whatever. And so having the cash makes a lot of sense. My, my question, Marianne, is how can previews stand out in such a crowded space, given that they are not raising the type of capital we would expect if they had enormous marketing plans, you know, in the pipeline? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a good question. I've, you know, the, like we said, the salaried agent model is not anything really new. The rebate program is not something I've heard about. So I think that appeals to people. The The concept of getting money back after closing, they can use it to buy furniture or um, sometimes they can use it to pay down their mortgage points. There's a lot of things you can do with it. And that appeals to people. The company claims that its technology also is a standout. Of course, I have not used 
their platform. So I cannot really speak to that personally, but they, they claim they offer kind of an Amazon like experience that where everything's real time up to date, all digital, no moving to offline, like you would maybe with a traditional real estate brokerage. They say that because they have so much set up on the back end, they don't really need as many employees. They only have 25 employees, majority of which are real estate agents, right? So they, they seem to have been trying to operate on a lean manner since the beginning. Interestingly, last year, they purchased the mortgage technology of a company called, and I, I may be pronouncing it wrong, Re- Really, Reali, that shut down. I wasn't sure. It's one or the other. Yeah, that shut down last year. So they really, yeah, really are producer sellers. And so they purchased the, their mortgage technology. And so that's interesting because Preview wants to try to expand beyond just helping people buy homes, but also maybe move into like helping with the mortgage process and the titles and, you know, the rest of it, the rest of the Got it. process. Okay. Well, I, I love it. I love to see a smaller series A and operating business. I think they said they've done like one and a half billion dollars worth of transactions. So, right. you know, clearly the model is doing something. So keep an eye on preview, I guess. And maybe they are the, uh, the prop tech company breakout we've been looking for for next year. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. They did say that since they raised their seed round in late 2019, revenue is up 10x, but they didn't give hard numbers. So I don't know what, yes. you know, the base is. The revenue has scaled from $1 to $10. <laughs> right. Congratulations. No, we joke. Startups should just share more information, we think. All right, moving on. My deal of the week is Verve Motion, who just put together a $20 million round to grow its exosuit business. And Marianne, you know that I'm an enormous science fiction nerd. I hear exoskeleton or exosuit. I go, ha ha, I want. Turns out I do not want because <laughs> what they have built is actually relatively specialized. So the company has some roots in research and DARPA and military and all that. And they ended up taking some of that research and applying it to relatively standard repetitive tasks, essentially picking up and carrying things. And so what Verve has built is a, it's kind of like a, a soft backpack and then some things that go around your legs. And then there's some straps that connect the backpack to your legs and there's battery. And then when you lean, lean over to pick something up, then when you pull up again, the suit helps you and provides a lot of like a lifting force mm-hmm. using your body's leverage points as a way to kind of assist. It's like a backpack with some straps. And I guess it does count as a soft exosuit. Ah, this is fine. This is very useful. It's a great idea. It's going to help people stay healthier and not hurt themselves. And I'm sure it's, you know, lovely, but it has, Marriott, no lasers and no buzz saws and no, you know, yeah, no blinky lights and shit. I think, I guess, I guess it's less flashy or, um, than you, than you'd hoped, but yes, I mean, it can actually, they claim might help mitigate the risk of injury and, and like help people not get hurt. And that means companies could save money in the long run from things like workman's comp and, you know, stuff, injury payouts, things like that. I, but they're not cheap, right? Aren't they like thousands to ten thousands or of dollars if you buy in bulk? I don't know the exact price point. I read through the website. I watched uh, videos about this. I downloaded the uh, brochure. By the way, Verve Motion salespeople, I'm not a prospect. You can just delete me from the database. I just sign up. I had to give them all my information to download the brochure. But I think they're trying to sell it a bit as a service. It has some analytics built in. You can see how much people are picking up and lifting. All that's fine. I care about the the human side of this story more than anything. Yes, right. it's a venture capital story. Yes, it's technology. Yes, you're right, Marianne. It could have business impacts like lower workers' comp claims. But also, I mean, we talk a lot about how technology gives people superpowers. This will make you stronger and safer. So that's that's really that's cool. About as, 
Yeah, it's about as good of a technology thing as you can hope for, even if it doesn't come with like rail guns or like, you know, titanium bonded steel alloy carbon fiber nets. But yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Company has now raised $40 million total. And uh, frankly, I I look forward to our robotic future. I mean, I thought it was very, very cool, too, especially for for workers having to lift a lot of weight and like hundred or so pound loads or more even throughout the day. One thing that that Kyle, the reporter, um, pointed out, though, there could be some privacy concerns because the sensors are basically tracking every movement. And, you know, that might make you feel as a worker that you're just being watched all the time. So that to me is like the one kind of negative I could see with this besides the cost, of course. That kind of implies that we're not already living in that sort of world. I think the yeah. the Amazonization of uh, warehouses and analytics is probably the new normal. And so to me, this is kind of part and parcel with where we are versus moving us in a different direction. You can dispute the entire push. I, I can see good reasons why to, but I don't think this is going to change things. This, this feels more like one more brick in the road versus carving a new path. Yeah, I guess so. I guess there's different degrees of it, though, right? So, but you have to out, you have to figure out like, is it better to be protected and not break your back, or have a sensor tracking your every move? I mean, I have done manual labor for money, and pretty sure I would take the take the help to get right. my privacy because if you're carrying things for money, you're carrying a lot of things, you know. And I, I think probably the assistance is is more interesting. Oh, actually, one more thing. The suits are very customizable, by the way. So um, I thought this might only be for one body type, one gender, whatever. Seems to be very flexible. So everyone can kind of use this. And that makes me question, Marianne, if there's not a future in which technology like this gets applied to senior citizens, mm. you know, people who have different mm -hmm. physical disabilities that might need a little bit of extra help or, or, or boost. So we'll see where it goes. Verve. Motion, $20 million round. Very cool. All right. When we come back, we are going to talk all about what's going on in France. And I promise I will not bring up snails or escargot. But first, a very short break. Marianne, we have to talk about France. Viva la France. Well, There's a lot going on in France this week. I think if you say Viva la France, you have to say Viva la France. I was otherwise, I, you're like... You read my mind. I was just like, that sounded <laughs> really, really dumb. Yes. No, Viva no, no. La France. no, no. Marianne. It sounded very American. <laughs> nice. We Americans are not famous for our ability to speak other languages. A lot of people on the TechCrunch Plus team, Marianne, speak like four languages. Right. And then there's me who speaks like part of one. It's brutal. Yeah, it, it kind of is. But yes, it's funny how you read my mind like you often do. Viva la France. And there were not just one or two, but three deals out of the country this week, right? Ramon was busy. Yes, Ramon, our intrepid France-based reporter. We absolutely adore him. He's just absolutely brilliant. And he's had a great eye on what's going on in France. And I have noticed lately things bubbling up from the country. And so I thought it'd be great to highlight a couple of these. Marianne, um, there was the procurement startup that does software called Pivot, just put together a $21.6 million round. I believe that was 20 million euro. And what's interesting there is how quickly it raised mm -hmm. after its last round. Then there was the startup studio Hexa, which just raised more money and has put together a plan to help startups that are growing too slowly still continue to exist without having to shut down or fire sale. And of course, we've talked a lot about Mistral AI, which is kind of like the current European Union champion in the generative AI space, which of course is based in France. And so the question was, and we'll talk more about those deals in a second, is there something in the water in France 
And no, we're not making like a champagne joke. We're like really curious, is something changing or are we just seeing a lot of French deals and we're over extrapolating based on our own observations? Well, I went through a bunch of data and I went through the pitch book reports and it turns out that in France, the third quarter of this year had the strongest venture capital result in the country of, I think it's uh, 3.4 billion euro since the first quarter of 2022. And I think it's essentially like tied for the second best quarter in France since at least like 2018. So right. it does seem that there's a lot of money flowing. It does. I'm so glad you pulled that data because it really helped validate what we see happening there. These deals are, I guess, technically fourth quarter, right? So fourth quarter could be even higher. We don't know. But but yeah, I mean, that's that's three large deals in the past week that Ramon covered. And looking at that chart, really, that was that was impressive. I haven't seen. Yeah, that was the highest bar, second highest bar trailing back all the way from 2018 in terms of dollars raised in the country. All right. I got to jump in here and uh, put on my Miranda Halpern hat. She's part of the TechCrunch Plus team. We adore her. And she would like me to tell you that this is not a bar chart. This is a column chart. And something else we should point out that I think is interesting, even though the dollar number was higher, deal count was actually much lower, which means there were a lot of large deals in the third quarter or at okay. least one or two or something. Yes. Skewed at data, maybe. Marianne, when we were at Crunchbase News, what did we learn about small rounds and their ability to get reported on time? It can take a while. It can take a while. So yeah. when I saw that number, and just to highlight what Marianne's talking about here, in the second quarter, according to PitchBook data, there were 344 venture capital rounds in France and then 189 in the third quarter. I doubt it. I bet there's some seed deals, some pre-seed deals, and some angel deals that just didn't quite make it in there yet. And that's why the dollar figure was more important to me. Unless we did see a collapse in total French deal volume, but that... Yeah, but the, the point, though, that I'm trying to make is last quarter, there were a lot of deals, 344, and a much lower amount of dollars raised, whereas third quarter, the dollar amount was way higher and deal count was way lower. So that, to me, signals that there were larger deal sizes in the third quarter. Yes, I, I think we can both be right here. I think you're right that probably the average deal size went up and also that that number will fiddle in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But we talk a lot about the European venture capital ecosystem as being reasonable in the early stages, but not quite as strong in the later stages as the American one. And so if, you know, French startups are doing this well and what you're saying does work out to be kind of what things are, then that does maybe say that European later stage VC is getting stronger, which is encouraging for a great number of countries, not just France. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's interesting, too, about Pivot um, raising so soon after its last round, which was in April. So that's only like five or six months, right? And we, you know, we've talked about this many times, but you know, that that sort of short time frame in between deals is not has not been nearly as common in 2023 as it was in, say, 2021. So uh, I thought that was really interesting, too. And sticking to that point you just made about, you know, how this round felt almost a little bit historic in like it's from history versus being kind of of the moment. There were other elements that made it feel a bit more 2021, including the fact that the startup told us that they hadn't even spent most of the money they had raised before. So now they have even more capital in the bank, right. which means that investors saw what they were building, saw the early traction and said, we want to buy as much of this as soon as we can. And the company also told us that they're going to try to get to a million euro worth of annual recurring revenue next year, which means that they're not there yet. And mm -hmm. so if they raise 20 at, let's call it a 
80 million euro pre, let's say they're worth 100 now, just picking a number, their ARR multiple is hilarious, which means there's a lot of optimism amongst the VC community that they are going to scale very rapidly for a very long time, which is, again, bullish about French startups and their current uh, success. So France. Yeah. This actually makes me want to dig in a little bit more deeply now because we talk a lot about the UK, FinTech. We talk a lot about China, full stop. India comes up on the show pretty frequently. The US, of course. Latin America. Latin America. But one thing we do a lot is we just say Europe, which often includes like Israel data and many data sets. Maybe we should do like other looks at at different countries. Like Klarna is based out of Sweden. Mm -hmm. When's the last time you and I looked at Swedish venture capital numbers? For me, it's been at least a half year. Oh gosh. If I don't think I've ever looked at Swedish venture capital numbers. Well, there we go. I mean, frankly, I'm now kind of curious if France is going to be able to buck general venture trends that we're seeing around the world. I'm now curious what other countries are standouts. And I know we're going to talk more about, you know, 2024 later on in December as, as a podcast. But, you know, if you had to pick a country that wasn't France, that was going to have a solid 2024 compared to this year, Marianne, where would you place your bet? Oh, that's a tough question. Alex, are you talking about Europe specifically or globally? Well, I was thinking Europe, but let's spin the globe. Pick any country around the world that you think is going to do particularly well and maybe even contra trend in 2024. I have to put my money on Brazil still. I th- really? I just, I, yeah, I think Brazil still has a lot going on. And even though venture dollars decline in terms of how much went into the country and the whole region over the past year or two, I wouldn't write it off. I think there's still a lot going on there. I'm not going to end up too far from you. I was thinking about possibly talking about Germany and their manufacturing base, and maybe that might yield some interesting hard tech companies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, I'm always going to have a soft spot for Denmark, given my family's heritage. But I'm going to go back to a different part of my mom's heritage and pick Mexico. Yeah, I would agree with that too. We just Mm -hmm. saw the Flink deal in the fintech space. Mexico has, if I recall the demographics, a a younger-ish population. Certainly, proximity to the U.S. market is is a big boon. A lot of trade and manufacturing is going through Mexico now, given China-U.S. geopolitical tensions. And increasingly, it's an online society. So, uh, you know, there's a lot going for it. So I'll pick Mexico. I think that's a really safe bet, too. I think there's a lot of potential in both countries. Yes. And if you want to hear us make slightly more thought out predictions that we're not just making up on the fly while we're riffing with one another, we do have, of course, the Predictions Equity episode coming up later on in December. And that's not just Marianne and I, it's us and a bunch of our friends, lots of good things in there. And we also rate our 2023 predictions to see how well or how well we didn't do in those things. Now, before we close off the France thing, I want to talk about Hexa for a minute because One thing we haven't talked about a lot lately are startup studios. Mm -hmm. Now, Y Combinator is an accelerator. You know, Marion, if she wants to do vertical SaaS for mobile dog grooming businesses, she could build that, take it through YC, raise some money, hopefully grow more quickly, learn a lot and go out and keep building. A startup studio instead has in-house talent and capital and then comes up with ideas, builds them internally, and then launches them out, maybe spins them out, maybe takes on external capital, et cetera. So Hexa, which just raised $22 million, uh, this November, and we're talking about them because they're working with leadership companies, so they're kind of in the France bucket, is a studio. Mm-hmm. And you know, I just, I feel like that model went out of fashion somehow, Marianne, and I'm kind of curious why. Because why wouldn't that be a great idea? I don't know. I mean, there's Atomic here in the U.S., right, that's still kind of incubating companies, um, launching them. And there's another venture fund that that also has 
an incubator within, I think, a Thrive Capital. So I think it's still happening. We just don't talk about it as much. What's interesting about Hexa is that right now they're looking to not just work with earlier stage, but now with later stage companies. So yeah. they've already got product market fit. They just need a little help in continuing to grow. And, you know, between the studio model and the Lacey stuff we're talking about, Hex is very interesting mm-hmm. in France again. So like, I, it's one of those, like it kind of all builds up. So here's hoping that the French story doesn't go flat like champagne left out after a party and instead retains its fizz all through <laughs> next year. <laughs> all right. Now we're going to close out. This is actually the last section of the last news roundup for equity for the year. And we had a bunch of ideas for this segment. There was a lot of stuff we wanted to talk about. There was like food tech and I think three or four other kind of ideas that we really wanted to consider for this final slot. But Marianne came in and said, hey, we got to pick something that's going to have some bang to it. So Marianne, what did we pick and why do you think it's exciting? We decided to talk about AI. What? 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 What's that? Shocker. Shocker. Yeah. I mean, of course it was, it was the uh, sector of the year where all the money was going, where all the talk was happening, um, all the drama. So we, you know, we just felt like this was the most fitting way to end this last news episode of the year. And we, we decided to first look at some data that um, Kyle, our awesome AI tech reporter analyzed, and he found that mega deals could be inflating overall AI funding figures, meaning that there were a few very large mega deals in the AI space that were mostly led by tech giants like Amazon and Microsoft. And they may have skewed the data a little bit, which not to say that AI is still not getting a lot of capital, but we have to like keep it in perspective where some of that capital is coming from and how much of it is coming from those places. Right. Okay. So through Q3, $68.7 billion into AI-related startups, according to PitchBook. Fine. Let's narrow down to Q3. The dollar amount was $22.1 billion. And if you yank out the mega deals, the number falls to 15.1. And I, I'm trying to decide if that feels like a material reduction in the amount of capital because I don't want to sit here and <clears throat> dispute the headline of my colleague, but if it was $22.1 billion in total AI-related startup funding and then it was $2 billion without the mega rounds, you know, then I, I, I feel like, I, I almost feel like I would have inverted with a lot of love to Kyle, who I adore, the, the take here and said instead, um, smaller deals are propping up AI funding versus the big deals are distorting the data enough that we need to sit back and kind of chew on them differently. I I would just kind of do it in reverse. Yeah, I I think, you know what, this is another situation where we could both sort of be right type thing that, you know, it's important to note that some of these uh, deals in AI were led by these tech giants and they were multi-billion dollar deals that were more like I don't want to say anomalies, but were kind of exceptions. There were also a ton of smaller smaller rounds in the space. Yeah. Yeah. And also like, you know, we are talking about through Q3. So just picking back up on the France theme, the Mistral AI round that was raised, or I guess it was announced, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of days ago, I think we've been talking about it for a little bit, but I think it just got done. That's going to be a Q4 event, right? So we're only talking about Q3. So maybe the data will actually even be a little bit more top heavy um, than what we talked about on the Monday show with that round than what we're seeing here in Q3. But I, I just, to me, this feels very bullish for earlier stage companies. You can fit a lot of series A, B, and C deals 
into $15 billion. A lot, a whole, whole lot. But on that note, though, I do think, and and not to to say too much of what we're going to talk about in our predictions episode that um, I think that we, you know, we might be seeing this slow down a little bit next year. I feel like, you know, this was the hype year. Everybody was going crazy, but I do think investors are going to be a little bit more cautious in 2024. And also PitchBook report found that VC deals and Gen AI companies actually declined 27% in Q3, but the deal value did go up. So I think that that's a signal that, VCs might start to be a little more discriminating in terms of how many companies they actually invest in. Like they might be doing more follow on or larger deals, but maybe not as many deals in the space moving forward. Yeah, maybe. And also, I really do think we're mixing our startup apples here. We have a lot of different stuff in this bucket. Like OpenAI is a private tech company, but it's also a weird web of nonprofits and Microsoft money. So it doesn't really count as a startup. And can a $10 billion multi-tranche deal partially in cloud credits really count yeah. as a venture deal? Right. That's Maybe. kind of, it's kind of iffy. And another thing that um, Kyle reported, I think is worth noting that on the positive side, exit activity is showing signs of recovery. There were 108 AI exits so far this year worth a combined $9.1 billion. So that's pretty good. Yeah. And, you know, just thinking out loud about the the deals that stick out to me, there was the Databricks Mosaic ML deal, if memory serves. That was, oh gosh, uh, Teresa, if I'm wrong, yell at me, but $1.3 billion. So if that's the biggest deal I can come up with, that does imply that there's quite a lot of overall exit volume there that was at a real price point and not just an acquire. Right. Right. For sure. I mean, I think bottom line is, you know, 2024, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens in the AI space. Um, I know that some investors have been a little turned off because there's there's been a lot of IP concerns, you know, related to AI. And so that that's also kind of fueling some caution. We'll see how it goes in 2024. Yeah. And then finally, in the the realm of AI, to cap out the year, where we discussed kind of this, this epic amount of money and also a lot of question marks, we are starting to see the first major bets potentially go a little bit sideways. I'm That's not going to say sour yeah. because that implies more knowledge than I have, but sideways feels about right. So Stability AI, of course, well known for their stable diffusion work, uh, probably about as close to a brand name in terms of like mind share as you need to, to have that label in, in the world. Raised a lot of money, $100 million in 14 months, and is apparently struggling to monetize and may be forced to sell itself at the behest of its investors. So Marianne, if your thesis holds up, we should expect to see more of that next year than we saw this year, and perhaps sooner than we actually might have expected, even with a cynical lens on. Right. I wouldn't be surprised at that at all. And the fact that my voice is dying as we conclude the last section of the last news roundup of the year, I think is a very perfect moment to, to call it um, because I've been sick for the last two weeks and we have recorded so much. <laughs> yes, you are a trooper. I will say an absolute trooper, Alex. All of us. So friends, we are not going away. We have made tons of little gifts for you that will come out throughout the holiday season. Stay close to us. I'm writing up all the posts now for the site so you can catch those when they come out. It'll be on Spotify and iTunes and blah, 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 blah. Lots of good stuff coming. But thank you for hanging out with us this year. Thank you for coming to our live show at Disrupt. Thank you, Mary Ann, for being so fantastic. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you, Cal. Thank you, Henry. It's been a lot of work, but we did it. Yeah, We're really no. proud and happy. Thank you all so, so much. Like, it sounds so corny, but really, it, you know, we couldn't do this without you. 
and and just you don't know how it warms our hearts to like see tweets or hear people say I I'm a longtime listener of Equity or love listening to Equity or comment on things we talked about on the show because we're doing this we're having such a great time but uh, anyway it's just super appreciated that you you all listen you support us and and thank you for being there yeah, we really do. And we are also hard at work on our usual set of very small tweaks to the show's format and uh, kind of what we're doing for next year. We already have a lot of really, I mean, awesome plans. I'll just be honest. I think they're pretty great. And so when we come back with new stuff next year in our usual cadence, uh, just keep in mind that uh, it might be slightly different and we think slightly better. So Marianne, I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Hugs to your family and everyone else. Well, get ready for predictions, look backs and interviews galore. Happy end of year. Happy whatever religious holiday you celebrate. Goodbye. Bye. Equity is hosted by myself, editor-in-chief of TechCrunch Plus, Alex Wilhelm, and TechCrunch senior reporter, Mary Ann Azevedo. We are produced by Teresa Loconsolo with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. And a big thank you to the audience development team and Henry Picavet, who manages TechCrunch Audio Products. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.